Welcome to the Words of a Warrior, a podcast bringing you insightful conversations and stories from some of the most inspiring people. My name is Candy Wheeler. I'm your host. And on today's episode, I am joined by what I'll define as a legend, <laughs> uh, Renee Hecker, who is the mother of my dear friend, Grace, who we just recently had on the podcast a few weeks ago. And um, yeah, this this conversation today is inspired by that episode because Grace and I got to talking and we're like, actually, we should hear from your mom as well on this because, you know, she dove into all things um, in terms of like growing up off grid as well as the tragic loss of her father, which is um, Renee's dear husband, late husband. And I... Yeah, I had been I had just gotten connected with Renee and had been one so inspired by her content, but two from being friends with Grace for the time that we've been, I've heard so much about you, Renee, through that from, mm -hmm. you know, the fact that you birthed 12 kids all naturally at home to um yeah, to the off-grid living, to the life coaching now that you provide for others, which is amazing, solid, sound advice, like someone who I want to learn from. And yeah, there's so much about your journey that I've been inspired by, and I'm just super stoked to have you here. So thank you so much for joining and being on the podcast and taking the time to to share your wisdom today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm just as excited to be Yay. talking. Really fun to talk about these things. Oh, so to start out, I really want to ask you about your life coaching, because I know that that's one big resource that you provide for people. And mm -hmm. I want to hear what started that. Like, what was it that inspired you to become a life coach in the first place? Back in my 30s, and, and when I really got on a path of um, healing my own <laughs> my own uh, things that I couldn't seem to overcome, um, a lot of it was a lack of self-love and confidence that uh, fueled jealousies and insecurities and things like that. And as I was going on my own journey, I found that other women struggled often with the same thing. And I just so enjoyed sharing with them the things that I was learning on my own journey. And as I um, got to the end of my 30s, I thought, I think somewhere along the line, I would like to do something like coaching because I, I could see how time just flew <laughs> whenever I was sharing and, and kind of um, counseling someone kind yeah. of spontaneously. And, um, and so that has been kind of on my back burner I had three, my three last children in my 40s, so it kind of kept getting put <laughs> put back a notch and back a notch as I had another baby and another baby, um, but still always planning on it. And then as I was getting into the season of life where I could start doing that, where all my kids were um, big enough now and thinking a little more seriously about it. My husband in 2020 was killed suddenly in the woods while he was working on his logging machinery. And, um, you know, he left that morning 
and mm-hmm. never came home again. And I had been a stay-at-home mom all my life and loved it. That was my dream was to be a wife and mother. And all of a sudden that day I was the breadwinner and I had to figure things out. And so just the shock of him dying and things um, sure. and that I had to quickly decide what to do with his business and everything. It was almost like life helped me along in that, um, that week I got my email uh, invite to a boot camp, life coaching boot camp for the following weekend, how to become a life coach in three days. Mm. <laughs> the company that I had been looking into um, becoming trained by in the future. And so I thought, well, here it is. So I'm going to go ahead and sign up for this. And so the next weekend, it was intensive and long days, but I joined that. And one of the very main things I got from them, besides learning to do the technical of Zoom calls and things like that, was just to get going. They said, get going as you keep training and learning. And I think that was the boost of confidence (laughs) that I needed, that I can go going already. And so I proceeded to keep training, but, you know, do all the technical parts of getting a website set up and things. So it wasn't until Nathan was killed in March, it wasn't until the following December when I actually began coaching. But that's, um, that's how I started kind of like got pushed onto the stage, <laughs> you know, before, before I was expecting it. Um, yeah. And and when I say that, I, I think, no, I walked on to the stage, you know, and my bigger why I was doing it was my kids. My kids needed me more than just financially. They needed me to lead the way of keep living, keep loving, keep living large, keep dreaming, um, honor their dad. That was our motto, honor him. So that was my way of leading the way for them. Mm. Oh, I love it. And, you know, normally I would say like, if somebody did a three day training, I'd be like, mm, maybe like, you know, maybe look into it a little more, but you're someone who not only, you know, um, you know, did that training, but you're, you're someone with like incredible life experience and, and you have these like natural gifts. So I want to like, you know, again, yeah. Like I had this thought, like if somebody did this, like, you know, there's all these trainings out there and I'm like, yeah, it's not enough. Like people need to look into these things more, but, but hearing that from you kind of makes me reflect on like, wow, something like that can absolutely help you in, you know, at the very least, like get started. But there's something to be said about, you know, someone with like this great life experience, like you have a ton of that. And you're also, you seem to be like, the nat- the person who people naturally came to for things like this as well. So then, yeah. So then this training, it was more so just this, like, here's how to take what you, you know, those gifts that you have and actually apply them into a, the form of a life coaching career. And here's how to kind of get started. Yeah. And how amazing that you then chose to just like create your own career for yourself and, but also like help others and be in service to others and support others on their journey of learning and, and creating the life that they want to create as well. Yeah. And I, you know, 
it was a three day boot camp, but I continued continued training and um and pretty much I I feel like train every day. I'm always yeah. further and not only things that um like that first year, what I needed was guidance maybe in in uh grief and processing the grief. I, th- I felt like I couldn't even start the coaching mm. while I throws of grief. I couldn't even um feel feel my grief like I needed to to process it because the whole I could um as it was happening I thought well this must be what the brain does in trauma. It just I look at Nathan's pictures and could not emotionally connect to them. I knew who he was but I couldn't feel the loss. It was it was extremely strange <laughs> and mm-hmm. and a little bit frustrating because I I needed to like process something but I didn't have the emotions it's like I have all these eruptions of tears but but not enough to really wrap my mind around the whole reason why I um I'm sure it's it's different for people who um like a cancer is a slow death or old age um but the sudden like that I imagine many people go through that and so it takes a while to even start well, I guess it starts peeling back the layers, like they say, of an onion. And, I, and I've and i come to just recently realize the reason why it is that way is because when you lose somebody so close to you, the grief is so great that it would kill you. <laughs> it would literally kill you, the pain of it. Um, after about three or four months, I started to feel something in my chest and, uh, and pain. And I realized, oh, it's my broken heart. <laughs> I can mm. I can feel it now, like the numbing had lifted and it felt literally like someone had taken my actual heart and ripped a chunk out of it. Mm. Um, so so having to do that, that part myself, um, walk through that valley and and heal my own heart. And I felt like if I can get through this whole financial challenge and the grief and everything, I feel like I can get through this successfully. <laughs> um, it's almost I'm earning my stripes to be a life coach. And Absolutely. I was training myself along the lines I needed then. I've, I've trained in a lot of other things um, since then that are geared towards my clients and their challenges. And um, I'm really grateful <laughs> for yes. things that have kind of like organically come. But the things that I help people with the most and use the most are the things that have helped me through my thirties, through my forties, and now through my fifties too, because these things I know work. And so I can say it with a lot of belief in knowing and my belief I can see inspires them to believe that this is going to work. And you know, that whole placebo effect. Yes. (laughs) Doctor can heal simply because the other person is inspired by their belief. So that's the beginning. People need to do their work. But a big part of coaching is me being able to inspire them that you can do this and there's yeah. hope and tools actually work. We need that. I think we're, you know, most people are missing that in life. Like it's so easy to just be like, oh, you know, just to just to look at you know, the vision that you have for your life and feel like it's not possible. But then you have somebody speaking life into you and you have somebody actually walking you through step by step on like how to support yourself in the process of doing that and how to resource yourself in that. And 
believing in you, you know? And I think that's a, a lot of what people are missing right now is just that belief in themselves, but then also from the people around them as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Man. Extremely rewarding. Um, I, and I have to say the reason, um, the reason of belief, I, you know, coming from a, a very deeply religious home, Christian home mm. and, and being coming to my, the age 30 and feeling like I, I asked Nathan one day, why are you glad you're alive? And he kind of paused, like, why am I asking that question? <laughs> and um, we used to go on date nights. And so I was asking this on this and I said, I know what the Christian answer is. I know that I'm supposed to be um, just so love God so much. I'm so glad to live my life for him and all these. I said, but I know what the right answers, but I said they wouldn't be true. And, um, and so I began my quest for answers because I knew all the religious answers. I mean, I was, I, I was in a Christian school. I was in a Christian home. I was in a Christian church that opened his doors. We were always there every time it opens its doors and had memorized so much scripture. And, and it's like, here I am at 30 and I'm not, I don't, it'd be easier if I hadn't lived. Something's a mess. So I just started kind of intuitively going to bookstores and things and just titles that would stand out to me, take them, devour that one, go mm -hmm. get another or that one. And little by little, God in the universe started bringing the answers to me. It's, it's as if the books were kind of placed in my hand in order, according to what I needed. And little by little led myself out of the pit I gotten myself into. My hope is with coaching that I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know who would have the answers um, different than what I had been given all my life. And so I just trusted God to bring them, <laughs> to bring me, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's exactly what happened. And I hope that in coaching, I can like, over that 20 years that I learned things like really shorten that space for people mm. and them, the t tools that I kind of searched and navigated my way up through and for the process not to take so long. Um, obviously, everybody has to do the work when it comes yes. down training your thinking and taking responsibility for your life and all that but hopefully i can make that process shorter by like here try this tool and try this tool and things that i'm not an expert in i can refer them to someone who i know is so yeah there's absolutely something to be said about that like somebody who takes you know not only like yeah their training as a coach but then their entire life experience and the resources that they've pulled along you know decades of of life and then you know get, gifting that to people in the times that they need it you know it's like it's like you're kind of this like library you know or well of wisdom and you know when your clients are going through something they're like you know, they come to you with this and you can pull from that, that library, you can pull from that well of wisdom and say this, you know, this is something that has helped me. And that I think a big part of coaching too, is like resourcing people, you know, in, in ways to like navigate their journey. And of course, like they still have to go on a journey, but it really does, um, make it, you know, 
that much, I don't even want to say easier, but that much more supported along the way. And that really can make or break like whether or not somebody, you know, fulfills on their visions is like whether or not they feel supported, love, seen in the process. And I mean, coaching has done so much for me, not only receiving um, coaching from others, but also like, you know, in my journey of, of mentoring others, I, I can see like how beneficial it's been. And it's, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, again, to, to, to really highlight this though, is that like, you know, you and your, your journey specifically, Renee, like you're someone I want to learn from because of, you know, the life that you lived and, and also just like, yeah, your values, the things that you value, um, the life experience that you've had and yeah, just kind of your approach. And there's this like real lightness and positivity, like, and, you know, I've, I've honestly, like, there's times where I've been jaded by life and like, I haven't been as drawn to like positive messages, but when I come on your page and you, you're speaking, you know, you're speaking life into everyone that, that gets to come on this page. And I, I watch your videos. I'm like, I, I believe you. Like, oh, you know, the things that you're saying, I'm like, I believe you. And it's because I know, cause you believe it too. And that's, you know, and that's what's so special, I think, about you specifically. And yeah, I'm yeah. just so happy to share about that with everyone, to share you as another resource and to be like, you know, hey, like this person exists and like, you know, just to, just to, um, to, yeah, be another, I guess, outlet for, for your messages to come through and to share that with other people. It just makes me, warms my heart to know, like, you know, people like you exist. No, oh, thank you, Candy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I always, I, I mention in a lot of those videos, reels that I post in the caption, it's generally simple, but it's not easy. It really does. When you're going to retrain your mind, that's been deeply ingrained from youth with a lot of lies about yourself, about life, the possibilities. It takes a lot of discipline and persistence to get those neural pathways filled in and to form new ones that are aligned with the truth of your being. But if you will, if you will dedicate yourself, it's not difficult. I mean, it's not um, complicated. It's yes. not complicated, but it definitely is not easy to mm rewire your brain for the truth where there's been errors and lies put in but man is it rewarding once you mm -hmm. do you find yourself knee-jerk reacting to the truth rather than knee-jerk reacting to those subconscious lies that have been there for so long Oof. yes that <laughs> oh man that's so good that's the gem right there in itself is just like yeah the the truth of your being I love yeah. that. And I love that's what your, your coaching is. It's like the true North, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really helping people, you know, discover and uncover like the truth of who they are and the truth of their path and the truth of their, uh, their capabilities, um, which is, I think what the world is missing right now for sure. Um, yeah. So, man, that's amazing that that's even available and that's an opportunity for people to, you know, have additional resources. And I would love to hear to dive deeper into, um, you know, your experience with processing, you know, um, Nathan's loss. 
but also I, I actually want to take a couple steps back and I want to act like I'm a romantic Renee. I have this vision and I'm single right now. I want to put that out there. I'm single, but I have this like, you know, ideal, um, you know, vision of this relationship that I desire. And when I see, you know, couples like you and Nathan, um, and your relationship, the relationship that you had, I, I'm like, it does exist. (laughs) Look, here's proof. And so uh, before we dive into his loss, I, I would actually love to talk about his life and like your relationship and, like, yeah, I just, I mean, you know, to just like, to just add to the idea that like real love does exist and, and yeah, just like hearing about your relationship with him and things that you, you two have been through in life. Can you just like, tell me a little bit about that? Sure. It's my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> and um, yeah. I think Grace has said this, my daughter, that it's, and my kids agree that it's, it's not a topic. I, and I think it's probably true of a lot of people who've experienced loss. It's not something we want to avoid talking about. Talking about the one we lost keeps them alive because yeah. um, I was so used to, we would lay in bed for hours on a weekend morning. I mean, till like one in the afternoon, actually just talking about life and <laughs> looking out the window and then talking a little more and then um, just cuddling there in bed just thinking about life that was probably one of our favorite things to do and so now with he's gone um and i used to say every night you know after three decades of having little children running in in the morning and 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 all the way to bedtime at night getting them in bed and things when i'd finally turn off the light and just say this i'd come to bed and say this is my favorite time of the day i get to be with you all by myself and and I'm kind of surprised that even still, I'll without him here, it's like I got so in the habit of saying that each night that even still I say as I head to my bed, this is my favorite time of the day. <laughs> and I'll lay there on my pillow and I'll talk to him as if as if he's still there. And I know um, with the different deaths that I've experienced in my life, I've had a sibling die, my mother died, my father died, my first child died. Um, I've never needed anybody like I've needed Nathan after after he died, meaning needed needed to know that they can still hear me, that I still have a connection. Mm. Um, the day after he died, I just took off by myself where I could just release, in, not in front of the children, and just ask for signs. I need a sign that you are near and that you're here and you're not, you haven't left me. And heading home, there was a little herd of deer in the road and this it's common to see deer here but not like a herd of them always not where I saw them <laughs> and um and so I thought oh dear that's that was one um term of endearment he would use for me and um and so that kind of became my symbol and that along with a few others and it's the times when they show up that are so prominent at a time when I I really do need to know that you hear me or, or it's like a validation or something. So, so I still talk to him like I used to. And we, that was our, probably the, um, the strength of our relationship was communication. We had really good communication and a deep friendship for each other. 
um, I, I felt like, yeah, I, I very much, um, and especially this past year, have been promoting the law of attraction. I felt like I, there's so many lanes that could go down with my life coaching. Having homeschooled, it'll be, this is like the 30th year of children in school. Um, home birthing, homesteading. Um, my husband was in depression so for years, and so I have a touch of that. I had a son who um, became an alcoholic. I have a little, ex little experience with that, uh, just parenting in general, mm -hmm. um, um, marriage and relationships um, with my own self, facing some pretty deep fears that caused anxiety in me. But I realized that anybody that I have been coaching, I generally always get into the law of attraction, whether I term it that way for them. Some people are kind of close to that term, so I'm a little delicate with it, but I'm yeah. always bringing up the tools of the law of attraction that I've learned through the years. And when I first started learning it in my 30s, I realized, started going back through my life. I had never heard of it before. I knew the law, um, you know, been taught in Christianity, sowing and reaping, but always um, related that to actions, never to thought and emotions, mm -hmm. but they are mm -hmm. also acting forces. And um, so I began to look back at my life and see, has that been true? Have, you know, when I have been in a really good emotional and mental space, did my life reflect that? And and then my greatest story <laughs> that was the clincher for me that it works was when I was um, a teenager and I had, uh, of course, I said earlier that my one dream was to be married and be a wife and a mother mm -hmm. and to throw my life into those two roles. And so one day I just wrote down what I wanted to have in a husband. Nobody had told me to do it. I must've just been bored one day. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, so I wrote down and it was kind of a short list. I wanted him to love God with all his heart and um, being raised in the home that I was, it was like everything I did, I wanted to do. I wanted to follow God all the way into whatever and never say no, even if it said was difficult. And I didn't know too many. Um, I don't know if I'd ever met another guy my age who was of that earnestness, but I wanted that. Um, I wanted somebody who um, sang. I became at 12 years old. I fell in love with Bing Crosby singing when I saw on TV, the movie white Christmas. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> never heard the crooner style of music and my heart a little 12 year old heart just melted under it so I wanted somebody who sings and that style of music I wanted to live in a log cabin and I lived um, in a suburb of Minneapolis and in that beautiful suburb was this little old log cabin I don't know if it was the original house of that neighborhood or what and it was always intriguing to me so I thought someday I want to live in a log cabin this is wow. way before cabins were vogue at all <laughs> and <laughs> somebody who ate healthy, like I was starting to get into. And I think that was the main things. And um, so me, I was pretty protected in my youth. I mean, more and more and more. <laughs> it seemed like my family got more and more conservative, my mom more and more protective of me so that I, she didn't want me to have a job, didn't even want me to, um, to get a driver's license. Um, so I would do some babysitting the last two years of school. She decided to homeschool me. So I wasn't even seeing 
kids my age anymore and and also home church so I wasn't even in a big church anymore um so it was a little bit like how are you gonna meet somebody Renee <laughs> how are you gonna meet somebody I so and, resonate with that right now too <laughs> and didn't worry me at all I just I had a strong belief I didn't know again it was a big term back then God's will is it God's will I think differently on that now um God's will is my will <laughs> mm. um but back then I wasn't sure it was God's will for me to get married, but I was okay. It, it, you know, I, I figured it'd be okay if I didn't, I would still be happy, but I still wanted it. And I believed that it would come. And if it did come, I had no doubt it would be amazing. Um, so Nathan being up in the wilderness and on a thousand acres way back there remote, um, sometimes his family would go on singing tours um, in a bus. They would travel in a bus and sing as a family. So he would get out somewhat, but otherwise it was like two very unlikely people to meet. And we happened to be in 1983, <laughs> way back then, find ourselves at the same seminar in a big, huge auditorium in Minneapolis. And we noticed his family. They they were very conservative. You know, the girls were long floor length dresses and long uncut hair and they just looked intriguing to my sisters um my siblings and I so it was a week-long conference and we decided around Wednesday to go introduce ourselves long story short I exchanged um addresses with his sister and we began to be kind of pen pals and um they invited us up to their wilderness they had a thousand acres up in northern Minnesota where they were going to develop like a retreat center up there and so anyways, again, long story short, through some different connections, I mean, different, like each year having a, a time where our families met in 1984, mm -hmm. he asked my dad if he could get to know me better. And because he had learned that my family is pretty conservative. <laughs> and so my dad gave permission and and then my parents, I'm the last of seven children. My parents just decided to do something different with me. <laughs> it seemed like I was, and I don't know why. Oh. Um, they thought, why date? Why date? And then two people get connected and then they feel like, you know what? I'm not sure that we should get married. And then somebody ends up having a broken heart when it all gets broken apart. And so they thought, how about if you two decide whether you think it's God's will for you to get married? And if it is? Why don't you get betrothed? And then let's just plan for the wedding. Wow. I I had just, I had hardly talked to Nathan at all one-on-one, -on -one, but observing him, hearing his siblings talk about him, I I knew that if I was going to marry anybody, it would be him. Mm. <laughs> and, and, um, and he felt the same about me. And so we just didn't date at all. We just decided we would get married. And that would be in nine months the following year. So without hardly even talking to each other, <laughs> let alone yeah. date, um, we became betrothed. And he began building and preparing our log cabin for us. So here I had a man who, <sighs> singer and what he did I don't he didn't know it at that time because we were both just exposed to Christian music. But in the end, when he got exposed to more music once we got married in a way on our own, um, crooner style, that was the old love songs. That's exactly what he loved to sing the most. And he built us built me not only one log cabin, but two log cabins. Um, 
he loved eating healthy even more than I did. And mm. so I, with the law of attraction, looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was doing everything. <laughs> I was completely content and happy where I was at, that I was dreaming this and knowing without a doubt that it could fully come true. I had a strong belief that my marriage would be good if I did get married. Um, I attribute that to my parents and their good marriage that I believe so strongly that marriage would be good. And, um, and I had my intentions out there and it just was like the universe came and brought Nathan and here you go. You're 19. It's ready. <laughs> mm. And um, anyways, that, that was how we met. We didn't date the whole time. We saw each other maybe once a month during that, during that time he lived in Northern Minnesota. This is way before, you know, all the social media and texting and FaceTiming, we just would write letters back and forth. They didn't have a phone back where they lived. Once in a while, wow. he'd get to phone and call. And um, our first date was our wedding night. And we began to really know each other then when we, after we got married. And I think little did we know how much we had in common and how much, um, what a good flow we had. We learned after we got married. Uh, yeah. He's pretty intuitive, and I guess I'm pretty intuitive as well. And so I went on our intuition, and that was the beginning of our love story. And I moved from the um, from Minneapolis up to the Northwoods and learned how to live off grid with off grid with a wood cook stove and a plunger to wash my clothes and a hand wringer. And Nathan developed a big garden out of the wilderness there, using his horses to clear the land and. Um, pumped our water with a hand pump. <laughs> wow. So that's where we lived for the first two, um, maybe three years, no, actually four years of our marriage. But after, after being married two years, our house was struck by lightning mm. and burned to the ground. And that's what kind of loosened us up from our homestead that we were developing up there. Not sure that we would have moved had that not happened because we were pretty attached to that area. Mm. but his mother had a really hard time letting go of him. He was her first one to get married. He was the oldest of 11 siblings. And so he suggested, let's go to Wisconsin and until my mother learns to cut the apron strings and let go of me. And then when that happens, we'll move back up there. So that never happened. So we are here still. In <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason I feel like I have, um, the experience that I have in so many various areas is in part because of the man I loved and married. He had so many dreams and big visions. He's the one who said, let's have a big family. Mm. <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's some, my sister had begun having her babies at home. His mother had had her last child, um, just had her husband delivered. So it's kind of in our comfort zone just because it was close to home. So we naturally decided to have all ours at home and Nathan delivered each one of them, just he and I. And um, and homeschooling, that was something that my mom had started doing with me my last two years of school. So I, we veered off into that schooling our kids. So I have, began to have the experience there. Really thankful for a man that liked to be adventuresome and try new things because that's totally how I am. So we, we vibed really well on that and um, kind of both had a, um, 
uh, go for it, come up may mentality and just knowing that it's all going to work out. We both had a belief system. It's all going to work out. And um, anyways, yeah, the, I used to tell him that, you know, that you are every woman's dream. You're strong and manly, but yet you're so tender. You're so tender and, and emotional. And I think that's probably the part that my kids and I miss the most is that element in our family that was just so warm hearted and empathetic. And, um, but when he gave you a hug, you just melted. It's <laughs> just like all your cares melted into him. So um, I asked him when he left, would you give me a portion of your spirit <laughs> for for our kids? Um, I'm such an intellectual and in my head, feeling feeling is um, comes a little more rarely to me. And mm. I try to, when it drops in on me, really take advantage of it. But when I needed it for the children, especially that first week, I felt like I had that, like this extreme warmth that he left with me from him for the children. Mm. But yeah, it, you know, marriage, no matter who, no matter who gets married, it's two personalities and two people who come away from two homes, two different homes, two different upbringings and two different um, life purposes and and two different life challenges, like your individual life challenge for this lifetime that you have to overcome. And they, those ones, whatever your specific one is, comes with its little triggers and, you know, all those things. So as well as we got along together, um, we had our things, our rubs where, um, where we had to really be patient with each other, kind to each other in turn. One thing though, that kept our marriage strong and good and our love alive all the way to the very end was that we took responsibility for our life and we did not parent each other. He mm. let me, we each kind of had our individual areas of life. You know, for me, it was and we didn't never even sat down and had this discussion, but it kind of naturally occurred. You know, mine was the home, the children, the homeschooling. Um, his was the work and employment and money earning. Mm -hmm. We give each other our feedback, but we would always let the other make the decision when it was their area. Mm -hmm. And sometimes both in turn, it was like, this is no good. <laughs> this is no good. What decision you're making. And Yet we, we knew, I don't know if we really even thought it through. It's more in retrospect. I see that had we jumped it and I said to him, no, no, this is not a good decision. This is not a good, um, in whatever area it was and, and taken the reins from him rather than let him make his decisions you know, give my feedback. He can either go with it or not. Let him make his decisions and then learn from them. And he also with me, when he could see that the decisions I was making were not the best mm. and with him, he let me make them anyways. And we knew, we knew that we had to trust that we would be okay, that um, our life is affected by our reactions and our responses to life. And even though your lives are so intricately entwined, the only thing that's going to fall out on you, the individual, is what what your life requires. Um, so 
I think that I, I would attribute our flow in our marriage and the love that lasted to the very end, meaning just a really deep romance and, and affection and attraction to each other for all those years was that we kept being lovers and never took the place of being a parent and stopping the other from making a decision, even if it meant that I'm going to have to go through something or he's going to have to go through something difficult if I give mm. this. Mm. And it is completely worth it because the truth is, is the decisions that we each individually make, we need to be allowed to make them and follow our path, even if we're married, till we ourselves are convinced and turn on our own accord rather than our spouse stopping us um, kind of like halfway through the process. And then we never get fully convinced in our own mind whether our choices would have brought us out and, and um, would have worked, <laughs> whether they right. would have worked. And um, both of us in our separate areas that we, in our life lessons to learn, got to follow our whole path down and change our ways, convinced on our own, nobody forcing us and on our own accord, changing and doing things differently. And that's when real change occurs, not when you're being made to, not when someone else grabs the reins. And now I, you know, I have to have had to do that with my grown kids too. You know, it's like, ah, it's not, it's not the best decision. But they're adults now and they need to same freedom we all want to keep making our choices and then changing when we're convinced that it's time to change. Yeah, so. there's there's like a level of trust and and release of control. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, like wanting to control the outcome of things and wanting to make sure it's like a, it's it comes from a space of like protection or something like, oh, no, I, I, I need to protect myself from whatever outcome that that mistake or whatever you know like I, I guess people would label it as that like oh your decision it you know if it's not something that I would do then it's you know or something I think is best then there might be a possible outcome to that I which I think I need to protect myself from or something like that and that's where I think they start to like take control um the other thing I thought of too, as you were sharing this is um, I've recently listened to this book by Jay Shetty called mm -hmm. um, eight rules of love. And in it, he, he speaks about the, the type of dynamics that people have with each other. And there was three that he mentioned. There was one that was like the parent, the, de uh, the dependent and the partner. And, and he's like that, the, the problem is that most people get into these certain dynamics and they stay in them. Like they stay in like the parenting role. So where one partner is always trying to parent their other partner, or then the opposite of that is like the dependent where somebody's relying on their partner to fix them and change them and, and, you know, and guide them and all of that. And then there's the partner, which I feel like is exactly what you shared about you and Nathan is just this, you have your strengths and you have your areas of, in which you are, you know, like you're taking for this relationship. And then I have my strengths and I'm going to support you in yours and you're going to support me in mine. And if, and that, if that means that I'm going to choose to make decisions that maybe you wouldn't make, or maybe you would do differently. It, I, you're still supporting one another in walking that path. And 
I think that's so important too, because we need to, in life, when, when we choose or when we, when we walk, we learn and to like, try to make, to, to try to, you know, control, like you said, or take the reins is kind of like taking an opportunity from your partner to learn what they need to learn through making those choices that they would otherwise make on their own. And so, yeah, yeah. What I'm hearing and what you're sharing is like, yeah, you guys had a real true partnership and that that's kind of an example of what that looks like. Yeah. And it's, it's so not easy, meaning it's so not to just trust and let, let your partner make their decisions and plant their feet on their life course when you can see you feel anyways you can see the end of it and you're like i i'm gonna have to wait 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 you're you're yes both down this lane um but to know to really believe and i i guess i say this from both nathan's perspective and decisions i made and then his my perspective and decisions he made um Nothing affected him from my choices that was not aligned with what he was also needing, meaning that his soul was calling for, that he was emotionally responding to, reacting to. And same for me. Nothing affected me from Nathan's choices that I, my soul wasn't calling for, that I wasn't um, in some way aligned with. And it's mm-hmm. amazing how... how um, certain choices he made that I thought were going to be, um, there was one year where he made a choice and I just thought this winter is going to be awful. (laughs) But, and, and I could not get over the anger that he wasn't going with the way I first saw the winter going and what we should do. And, and I was like, God help me. (laughs) I don't, I don't want him to take off with bad feelings between us, but I don't know how to get rid of this anger. And the anger really comes from a fear, a fear of not having control and of, of the outcome and what's going to happen. A fear that it's not going to be good. I'm not going to make it or whatever it might be. Um, but a little voice came into my head at that moment and said, Renee, if you do not let go and let him make his choices, there's something for you in this and you're going to completely miss it. Mm. If you you push against the pricks here. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, I, even at that age in my thirties is like, I want everything. I don't want to put up a block, a wall to anything that God, the universe has for me. So I let it go at that moment. And, and the year ended up panning out just like I thought, Mm. (laughs) as I had predicted, but, um, but I didn't experience me myself. I didn't experience what I thought I was going to, the, the year actually went wonderfully for me. And I, and I didn't even feel like I needed to go in and change anything. Nathan changed it up and did, did differently and, um, and learned, learned from that whole process. Um, and, but it wasn't until years later, I thought, Oh, wait a minute. Now, what was that, that I was supposed to learn from that? Yeah. I didn't get to the end of the year and think, Oh, what was, <laughs> Oh, here's yeah. the job. But, but in retrospect, years later, looking back and from the things I've learned since then, it is this one truth that um, that what you your experience of life has nothing to do 
with other people's decisions and other people's reactions and responses. It has everything to do with you. So when you change your attitude and you change your perspective and return to love and return to God's perspective and freedom, um, live and let live. When you change that, that is what you are putting out there into the world. And that's what comes back to you. So if I hadn't changed then, and the year would have panned out like it did, um, and I would have begrudged it all the way and hadn't changed my attitude, I would have blamed it on Nathan that he didn't listen to my advice and look what happened and blah, 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 blah. And the truth was, it was all about me. I couldn't change my perspective and give freedom and give love and let him follow his path. Um, it would have made common sense you know, mm -hmm. um, but because I got that little voice in my head that I needed to let go, I did. And that changed everything, changed everything because I changed myself. We think we have to go through life changing our partner, changing people out there so that we can enjoy life. Totally missing the point that the only person we have to change is ourself. This mm -hmm. is one of the most memorable winters that I've had because mm -hmm. I, so knowing that and continuing to believe that, um, has helped me in life now without Nathan, but with my children to just give freedom. Nobody, nobody determines my happiness, but me. And all I have to do is change myself. No one else has to do it, has to accommodate me. And that's, that is true freedom when you can yeah. Um, rain in your mind and therefore your emotions because you can put yourself in any place in any situation and you know how to go within and um, tap into that heaven that's inside you like Jesus yeah. yeah I think what I'm taking away from all of that Renee is like yeah just this being this openness to like the full spectrum of life and not needing it to be any one particular way and I think that that's where most people go wrong is like, you know, there, there's not this level of openness to like, you know, I don't know, even know what, what people would label like the darker things or like the uh, pain or frustration, heartbreak, all those things where I think most people try to avoid that or try to avoid, you know, quote unquote mistakes or whatever. But what I'm hearing and what you said is just like, there was this level of like openness to, I want it all. Like I want all of life. I don't just want the the good things or I don't just want, you know, um, yeah, the, the positive things. It's more so, yeah, just this um, letting go of control, which has to come from like, yeah, a level of acceptance for all the things that exist within the life experience. And that's, that's what I heard and what you shared. Yeah. And trusting you're going to be okay. Trusting, giving others freedom does not mean you're going to suffer. you you have control over your own suffering. So Nathan had, had such a teachable heart and spirit and, um, and, and, when he could see that things were like, okay, these, this isn't the best way he would change and, and change directions. That's really important that we, he would do the same for me. Let me be convinced on my own. It is why 
we we had romance in our marriage to the day he died is because mm-hmm. we were kind. I don't, my son asked me, my, I had a son get married last month. And before he got married, he said, you know, he had never heard Nathan and I say any bitter words to each other or um, cutting words. He was wondering, did we ever, <laughs> mm. you know, or he was born or in, you know, behind closed doors in our bedroom. And I thought about it and I said, no, I said, we never did. And part of that is because we're not there to correct each other. We didn't marry somebody for a parent. We left our parents to be partners together, to be, to support each other in growth, to be each other's friend, best friend and ally in life. And so even though we didn't agree with things, we discussed it in a way that, that was kind you know, and um, considered each other and never wanted to throw darts at each other and wound each other, um, help mm. each other, wound each other unnecessarily. Did we wound each other? Yeah, we did, but not intentionally. Mm. Um, some things you say are like sandpaper. They don't feel very good when you point things out to each other, but you can say it in love for sure. Yeah. Uh that's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I swear I could like listen to you talk about your relationship with Nathan all day. Like I just want to, you know, I hope you do like write a book about it too um, or something in the future. Cause I just, um, yeah, I just genuinely love hearing that story and hearing how you two coexisted and, and yeah, had this like beautiful relationship. And, and like you said, it wasn't all perfect it wasn't all this like ideal that people fantasize about there were definitely moments of hardship and it was yeah a matter of like that partnership that letting go of control that trust that ultimate desire to to be in partnership with one another and to be on the same team is what I heard too yeah but I do think yeah (laughs) but you two as individuals too are are incredibly like Mm, just your spirits are are beautiful and and positive and you know lean towards like positive outcomes and I think that's really beautiful too is that yeah yeah, like you you want the best for your own life and you want the best for each other and I think that that definitely contributed to to the relationship being as it was and yeah it's such an inspiration I think a lot of people are really missing missing some of these key pieces too, you know, in this, and I want to say in today's day and age, but like, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, you know, um, there's always been two relationships though, that, that haven't always worked out in the way that yours did. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it is because of what you said, like, you know, they, like maybe not everybody has this desire to come into a partnership. Maybe people just feel like, you know, they default to the parenting or they default to the fixing and whatnot or the control. Yeah. Our marriage was not without its bumps. I mean, we came to a point um, after he lost his business and went into, into depression. It kind of both sent us reeling a little bit because he changed so much. And, and we sat, over at the dining room table one night and just like, shall we keep this together? <laughs> you know, just stop mm-hmm. talking. And um, 
And it was our kids that were the glue. Our kids needed us to work through the things that um, that losing his business and his depression and everything had had um, caused within our marriage and the detachment that had happened. And I didn't know at that time that the things that I was learning that I had wanted for so long to, um, you know how it says faith without works is dead. So in my 30s, I felt like I was reprogramming my thinking to be confident, to be positive, to love myself, um, to turn to turn around all the things that were causing the anger, the jealousy, the um, insecurities. And you can't just learn it at a brain level, at a mind level. At some point, you have to put it into action for it to really become a part of you. So the 30s was retraining my mind to think different. My 40s was giving me all these opportunities to put into action what all those new um, thought patterns that I had put in my mind. And so going through his depression with him and and then him working with me and all my detachment um, that had happened during that time, we stuck it and we kept doing the work of um, forgiving each other for the different things that had wounded each other. And I think we probably had the best years of our marriage in our early 50s there when mm. um after we got all through that and looking back i realized that all that if i had if we had thrown in the towel when it got the hardest we would have been um we would have been running away from the biggest clinchers to changing both of us in the areas of life where we needed to change and it was like a momentum building up and and, you know, that whole um, analogy where you're going through pages of the book and you give up and it was just one page left. <laughs> and when it was the most difficult in our marriage, where it was like we didn't have this strong emotional connect anymore, I couldn't feel it and um, had to work towards getting it back again and getting back in the game. Um, that's where the real um it was like all these things that i had been having to work through like it was a clincher and cemented the confidence and that i can do these things i i do have a backbone i can think for myself i can go through hard things and i can not run um all the things that confidence comes from and insecurities run from when you see yourself in action actually doing the tough things and not running from them. Of course, our kids did also immensely <laughs> that we that we stuck together. And then Nathan dying um, at age 56, when I was 54, he died. So thankful that we, we hung it together, hung yeah. together that time and experienced. Um, I remember at 50 saying, this is what I've been waiting for is mm blissful love where I've had this love but there was so much neediness of Nathan because he filled my cup so full of worthiness and um, I wanted to love him like he loved me freely no strings attached um, as I told him I, I need you but I'm needy of you and I want to have love that's actually true love that mm. just is overflowing from my own heart of love and so I had to learn to love myself first believe in myself and then my cup was full and I could love him just because I loved him 
mm-hmm. and didn't need anything from him anymore. And so we got to experience some years of that before he died and kind of like the frosting on the cake <laughs> before mm-hmm. he took. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. I want to hear about um, how you processed um you know, or how you've been processing, because I'm sure, you know, it's just this unraveling journey about his, his loss. But before that, really quick, just to kind of like, I don't know, I guess, drive this home in such a way where, you know, people know that this, this is possible for them too. in relationships is like, I guess the, the thing that I see most couples you know do when they don't work out that you and Nathan didn't do is is kind of give up and come to this place of like well I'm just gonna leave or we just you know we shouldn't this isn't working and they give up like why do you what do you feel like the difference is you know between I know you mentioned your kids were the glue but I'm sure there was more that kept you two together what do you feel like the difference is in couples that decide to stick stick together through, through those really hard, those hardest times and then couples who don't. And is there any pieces of wisdom that you have for people who decide, you know, like actually this isn't, you know, decide that this relationship's not for them or, you know, decide to leave. Like, I want to hear your thoughts or your perspective on that, because I know, I think right now the, the rates are like, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce and, I, I I almost wonder, is that really necessary or people just giving up too soon? Or what what is the difference between a marriage that ends up sticking together and a marriage that doesn't? Um <laughs> for for us it, it really it really was loving our kids enough that we were willing to do the tough stuff. After Nathan died, you know, I realized even though we talked about do we do we want to make this work? And the reason why in part we did that is because at that time, there was a few couples that we were pretty well acquainted with that were scrapping it and going their way. It looked it looked very inviting because you get a clean slate Mm -hmm. and have to. And we talked about that. Um, To go back, if you followed me on Instagram for a while, um, you know that during those depression years when he was, um, they probably lasted for, oh, four years, maybe or so, four to six years. And, and it was right at the time when I was getting social media and things. And I had all, you know, how men just come into your inboxes and things. And, and the attention felt really good because I wasn't getting it like I had been during his depression years. And yet I, I wanted him to follow his path and, and encourage him, but there's really no way I can push him through it. And um, so just decided to be patient and to be happy, but I didn't, was not aware of how thirsty I was getting for attention. And I ended up, um, telling myself this is just a friendship but at at some point with a certain man began to realize now this is this is an emotional connection i have here and i am um i'm so like emotionally disconnected with my husband so I, you know to be honest it was an emotional affair thank goodness it was long distance um because i was pretty vulnerable during those years mm. and there there came a point where i realized 
there was like a certain grace for me navigating this. But there was one day when I came, I was like, Renee, you're at the fork here. And if you do cut this off, you are like knowingly going down a path and you're going like, I don't care about truth. I just want to do this. It feels good. <laughs> and, and it was like, I was so, it was so in my face and it was one of those moments again, no, I want truth. And so I cold Turkey, no explanation, just never messaged again, no talking mm -hmm. again and chose this path of my husband and my family. This is not healthy for it. It's not doing any good. It's pulling me away from everything I've built up. And, um, and that's where Nathan had to be really patient with me. And he didn't force me to do that. He, um, he could see that I was emotionally disconnected, wasn't sure why. And so we talked about it and and um, I went on my own path and he wanted to, to, you know, get that moving in the right direction faster. And I just said, this has happened over time. I'm really working on it. I said, just be patient with me while I get myself directed back. And I just surrounded my room full of pictures of he and I from over the years and all the trips we had taken and things just to get me focused back on my marriage and things. And it was a slow, steady process. It was, it was kind of grueling because because um, I was finding my fun and my laughs through another person now and mm. my work and things and had um, in my patience and which I was being patient. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. In my patience with Nathan, though, I I was exposed with the neediness of my heart again, my mm. insecurity. And now I wasn't having Nathan fill, fill it. I was letting another person fill it. And to some at one point, it almost felt like it was healthy because I had been so, so, so needy of Nathan. And he, mm. his cute little wife who needed him so much, <laughs> tried not to make it annoying, but I knew in my heart, um, it was such a deep neediness. So finding myself attached to somebody else almost felt good because I could feel like I had, like I didn't have that neediness with Nathan anymore. But I wasn't being honest with myself that this other connection with another man was emotional and had gone a step too far. Mm -hmm. And the little voice in my head again said, no, Renee, it's not healthy. You've just transferred your neediness to somebody else and letting someone else fill your cup. So I am. Um, he was really patient with me, knowing that if I didn't make good decisions, um, it's going to affect our marriage. It's going to affect our family, but he trusted me <laughs> just mm -hmm. like I trust him with the finances. He trusted me in this area to make good choices. And he just decided to work on himself. And, um, I think that was the savior to our marriage is we did not force each other. We worked on ourselves and in working on ourselves, we both came together in the end and with a love that was deeper than we ever had had it before. Um, but that was, those were the things that we had to work through. And I think sometimes to your question, why some people don't, um, do the work is because in that moment, a lot of different women and men, I'm sure are attached to somebody else and the mm -hmm. work to get unattached and reattached to their spouse and want to do that work mm -hmm. seems great greater than their capabilities or their desire for it seems the work seems greater than their desire for the marriage to work out is and um 
the truth is, as I look back after Nathan died, I was like, you know what? We would have never broke up. <laughs> we would, even though we sat there at the table that one evening and talked about it and how easy a clean slate feels right here at this juncture. Yeah. Um, we to go through all the throes of forgiving each other for the hurt that we felt from each other. Um, not intentionally, but nonetheless hurting each other and wounding each other. Um, so either we could split apart, get our clean slates. Nathan said to me, I think that we've learned enough that we could probably find somebody else and actually have a good marriage after splitting up. Or we could stay together. We could do the work. We could learn to forgive each other and and to get ourselves on course again for our kids' sake and for our sakes. And so we chose that and we chose to do the work and we chose to grit through some of that stuff that is hard um, for each other, for ourselves and for our children. Because what you, I think we both kind of intuitively knew that what you avoid dealing with and run from, you in ultimately end up facing it again. And here you've got a perfect situation. Some things like forgiving betrayal take time to build the lesson up, meaning you've got to form a relationship where you have a deep connection to feel betrayed by a person. Um, so I could break, Nathan could break away from me, go find somebody else. But if, if his lesson is to learn to forgive a deep betrayal or someone who's, um, I'm sure he kind of felt that on some level. Um, I do think he sees the whole picture now that he's gone. But um, it's like you've got so, certain classrooms of life develop some years to build up, in other words. And here you are. Here we were, the classroom all built up to this situation. And we can sit here and gruel through some of these final tests and and work through them and learn through them. Or we could go our way and we're eventually going to have to face them again with someone else somewhere mm. else. Mm. So probably knowing that and also hugely for our children, for their stability and to, for them to be able to view us, love each other through this. And, and, you know, <laughs> they, they have pictures and clips and I've seen them since Nathan died um, posted on their, on their um, social media. And I know the dynamics that Nathan and I were working through during that time, but all our kids saw was love and it wasn't fake. Underneath all that, the different hurt that we felt, somehow, and it's a mystery to me, even still, somehow there was this love that covered it all. And we'd go to bed each night, and we loved each other. Even after that discussion at that table, we loved each other. <laughs> and and I don't know how to explain that, except that that's been our highest goal, is to have love and to live love. And so it seems like when you when your highest goal is to love each other, you actually don't abandon each other and um, you do the tough stuff and you do the work and you face yourself and you, and you change yourself, even though it's demands a lot of you. And so for me, it was cutting off an emotional connection that was making me feel good at that time and turning to my husband who was trying to pull himself out of depression and love him and get that connection back with him. Um, a lot of people don't want to do that because it's not, it's not fun. Um, but I tell you what, the rewards of doing the tough stuff, um, they are, even if Nathan hadn't have died, of course, after he died, it was, 
<laughs> so glad I did that work. But even if he hadn't have died and we did lived our into our 90s like we planned, um, it was a life changer. It was a game changer for me to do that inner work. Um, yeah. yeah, some something I had been wanting since my 20s. And that was the clincher for me to do that on my own. Nobody else could do it for me. I had to do it. So I think it's, I think it is a running from the tough stuff. Obviously some couples have were, you know, narcissistic spouses or abusive spouses that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about two people who are, are good people just in front of them that needs to be done. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Wow. That, yeah, that there's so much you said in that. And I'm just going to let, you know, what your gems speak to them, you know, speak to the people listening. Um, so yeah, I mean, how amazing that you guys ended up, you know, sticking through it and having this beautiful, you know, relationship all the way, you know, I mean, to this day, of course, but then, you know, then having to go through this tragic accident of, you know, losing him and him, him passing, gosh, I'm sure just caused so, you know, just so much, um, grief, so much pain, so much heartbreak for, for you and for, for the family, um, which, you know, I know we mentioned, but I I just want to, you know, reiterate the fact that, you know, you, you do have 12 kids. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, these 12 kids lost their father, but then you lost the love of your life. And I know that had to be hard. And I want to hear, um, yeah, I want to hear about your navigation through that process. And yeah, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way and, and how you've been navigating um, all of that? Because I know that that couldn't have been, you know, the furthest, this is furthest from easy. Yeah. I, um, I don't know what it is about me. Part of it, I think, is my thriftiness. Um, such that my mom raised me to be extremely thrifty. So I don't spend money to go, you know, for therapy and things like that and have tend to be a do-it-yourselfer and navigate my way. Um, In doing that, it has given me a strong belief system that all of us has this internal guide that will lead you through the darkest days and knows just what you have to do um, if you follow the promptings. So yeah, it was, it was, um, I guess a pain you can't even put words to, <laughs> to lose Nathan. Um, yeah. you knew if you knew our relationship, he was like this incredibly strong, manly rock. He was the rock of our home. And I was the fun, loving, lighthearted wife and mother. And, and his, his, um, his serious demeanor and um um as he would say if i say it you know that i mean when i say i'm not kidding i was the jokester his his um strong stability and seriousness allowed me to be the lighthearted fun mother that i was and fun wife um i said to my my youngest son was 10 years old when he died and um a month or two ago i said to him um I'm not as funny as I used to be. <laughs> I'm kind of like wondering why. 
And I said, maybe it's because I don't have a bunch of little kids around me anymore. He said, I was thinking that, but I think the reason is, is because without Nathan here, I need more balance. Meaning I got, I am the, the mother and the father technically in the home. I yeah. need to have a more serious side to me with my lightheartedness to keep, to keep a balance in there um, amongst my kids. Um, but I, um, I am so amazed at how I was led through that so as gently as anyone can be led through something like that. And um, I tend to be someone who lives in the moment. So I'm, I'm not a warrior that's thinking about tomorrow. And I'm not someone who's mulling over things in the past either, generally. So that was to my advantage for when Nathan died. It was easy to me, me to for me to immerse myself in everything that I had to do. He had a logging business with a couple crews, and I had to. Um, I knew immediately I needed to dissolve it, but I needed to figure out what all he had going on. He had all these different jobs partly done, and and it just demanded a lot of <laughs> over a month time. I finally had the whole picture of everything I was facing, and it took me probably sixteen months to finally sign the last paper and be with the last settlement and be completely done. It was a, um, a lot. So that kept me busy. Um, along with, I was in the midst still ending the school year with my kids at that time. All those things were um, to my benefit in that it kept my mind occupied. But when I was quiet on my bike rides at nighttime, lying in bed, that's when, you know, your mind is still and all of a sudden, all that sadness starts coming up and thoughts come up. Um, yeah. I allowed for that. I let it come and I would just sob. And it was generally at times, it wasn't that I purposely did it away from the kids. I do think it was easier on them that it didn't happen around them very often. Um, when I was with them, I could generally be pretty happy because there's lots to be happy about still. And I, um, I, before Nathan died, had the things that I would promote the most on my social media were peace and joy. And I thought, okay, I've spoken about them so much and I promote them so much. If, if all the things I say don't pan out and work at a time like this, what good is it? Because mm -hmm. it's easy to be happy when things are good and it's easy to be peaceful when everything's sure and certain. But when you need that tool of knowing how to find peace and joy in your heart and, and activate it in your life, it's at a time when everything is, is running amok and when great pain has come. So it really caused, it's like I had held the bar high for myself. And now was a time when it was really put to the test. And I was like, I, I want to rise to it. I want to live this before all who have been watching me and let them see that these things that I've said don't, I don't just mean them when your life is going good. I mean, when everything, your nose is against the wall and you've been hit by a train, that's when, that's when these things really matter. And so I really pushed myself. I knew that gratitude was a huge game changer. It was something that had changed my the direction of my life greatly in my 30s and had kind of kind of been hit and miss with it. When Nathan died, it was like, nope, every day, every day, I am going to purpose 
to look at what I'm grateful for and what I had when I went to my, I don't know, must have been six weeks after he died and I was in my bathroom and I just thought this feels so cruel after going through all these hard years together. <laughs> and then, and then we're like on our little mountaintop and then he's taken from me. It just felt like so cruel after all the work we had done to get to mm. this. And then a little voice, that little voice that I keep hearing <laughs> at pertinent times said, Renee, would you rather have never had wonderful love for 34 years or would you like to have had it for 34 years and now learn to let it go and that was a no-brainer and I learned soon that um love never dies people die and and circumstances change but love is always there and if I keep my eyes fixated on the one person that I got love from the most and that I love the most and can't let him go. I'm closing myself off to the million ways God wants to show me love now. New ways that equally as wonderful. But I have to let go, open my hand so that new ways can come. And it's really hard for the mind to process that. It's like I can, I believe I can be happy again. But I can't foresee that I'll be happier. And, um, but my heart believed I think it's possible. Something in my heart said it's possible. And it, it's still, that thought is still a little challenging for me. But last, um, my message on Valentine's Day, this last, this last Valentine's Day was something that I was made aware of when Nathan died and I really purposed, I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to let what I didn't know with gratitude was that I was building a heart of love inside myself. When you're grateful and you it's you're basically saying, I love life. Thank you. I love life. I love where I live. I love my children. I love the marriage I had and experienced all those years. And you're just going over gratitude for everything in your life now and previously and to come. And that gratitude is actually growing this amazing beautiful heart of love that just began like spilling out all over and I realized that I am having the same feelings of love but even more consistently and constantly than I did when Nathan was here and I built it all myself <laughs> I built this heart of love um, I think love is at our core but we we crowd it out with all our fears and worries and focus on things that we don't have, our grief, our sadness. And if we could peel those layers back and start looking at everything that we do have, that heart of love begins to glow and shine. And I realized mm -hmm. we think that it's being loved. That is so wonderful, but it's actually loving because in giving gratitude and in caring for my kids and with this open heart, that's what was so nourishing and fulfilling was letting love flow out of me. Mm. So I would say purposing to, to look forward and to be hopeful and to be grateful. And if I'm going to look back, I decided it's going to be with gratitude. No more. I, I took time to process all that grief, to journal it all out and let it go and cried every day for the first year, I think. And then it gradually got to be a little bit less, a little bit less. But even now, there'll be times when a song comes on or something 
and another gush of just sobbing will come and I let it come. But what I don't do is I don't feed it sad thoughts. If it's there, it needs to be felt. But I found that in when those moments of grief come, if I just observe them, feel them and let them go and don't start going, I miss you so much. It's so hard. Why couldn't, you know, thought, feelings and emotions are propped up by thoughts. If you don't feed them thoughts, they just dissolve on their own. And so the sobbing probably lasts a minute max and then it's gone. But it's, it's, um, I do believe that those emotions, especially when it's something like tragic and a shock, get trapped in your body until you're able to process them. And so let them come, let them process, but you have the power of releasing them and not escalating them. Yeah, that's big. Yeah. Uh, the, the thought process. Yeah. Cause I know I've been in spaces where I, you know, would process like some, some grief that I've had in the past, but like, like you mentioned that, you know, there's a difference of, you know, like adding to it and adding those sad thoughts and then just being like, okay, like let it come, let it process, but then let it go too. And then, yeah. yeah, And yeah, there's, that's, I think that's the difference between people who like really suffer as well as like they'll add to it with all these thoughts. And it's almost like, yeah, this like victim mentality, like this happened to me and like, why? And, you know, just going into this like level of darkness that, ultimately it's just it it really is mind driven versus act what you're actually experiencing emotionally because like you said like a natural thing is it's it's actually pretty short if you just allow it yeah but yeah that's big that's a big piece of of wisdom right there is just to like yeah let it come but don't yeah don't like stay there don't add to the fire that it's it's not necessary yeah and, and I think it probably is necessary at the beginning to, like I said, there's such an, such an enormous amount of it. Um, but it's, it's brought, definitely has brought a whole, whole lot of questions to my mind of how are we supposed to process death? And, and if we had a different perspective, if we saw death, like God sees it, would it be much briefer? I think it would be. <laughs> and, and Nathan's the first one where I realized we're still so connected. I mean, and I've thought to myself, maybe that's why um, I have felt like I have felt through this and been able to move through it as well as I have, because with him, I feel the connection and I, I believe he sees and knows and cares and um, helps me at, at moments when I want to. And I think, well, other people might say, well, that's God, that's not Nathan. You know what? We're all part of God. And so I just say, for me, God has a face now, <laughs> you know, and that's, and yeah. that's me. Um, yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. And you, you, you say you still speak to him every night too. Yeah. All throughout the day, you know, and I, <laughs> on my bike rides, I'll, I'll often do it. Just start talking my thoughts and things and tell him about the kids and all this kind of stuff. And, and I said, you know what? Now you get to be with me all the time before you couldn't. So there's a perk to this. <laughs> there's a perk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's so beautiful. Um, yeah. One of the things that Grace mentioned too on the podcast is like, um, 
yeah, your, your processing of it and the way you went about it, um, helped so tremendously with them. Like she was like, I mean, if I, my mom would have crumbled, then we all would have crumbled, but like having you kind of, you know, in the, in process it and as gracefully as you did it, it supported all of them in their process as well. But yeah, yeah. there, there's one thing that she mentioned that I, I believe to be true is that not a lot of, it's not talked about enough grief, death, loss, heartbreak, all of that, like and how to process it. And when people go through it, um, you know, yeah, there's just this level on, I want to say like societal level of like avoidance of all these, like maybe harder things that don't get talked about enough. And that was something that kind of made it hard for, for her and for you guys, like, wait, or, or at least a realization of just like, wow, nobody really talks about grief, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that was another conversation she brought up too. Yeah. There was, I thought just recently, I, I just finished making a course for teaching the law of attraction. I told Grace, I said, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a course. It's not going to be too terribly long, but on processing grief, mm -hmm. um, learned so much through walking that and made aware of so many things that I hadn't thought of, I guess, of widows or widowers who face that when they lose their love. Um, the things that were helpful to me and even just, you know, practical things like giving myself a timeline of, okay, I'm, I'll give myself three months before I change my status on my social media to single or widowed to widowed. Mm -hmm. Um, little changes like that are, can be like traumatic <laughs> there. Um, yeah. there, each one of them is like, you're closing the chapter that you loved and, and you're putting finality to it. So every one of those little landmarks of the first time I gave myself a year before I would make myself go out and socialize alone. That was a big jump, you know, to, to face that without Nathan, because we always did that together. So setting those land, those little timelines, um, marker points where, okay, I'm giving myself ease. And then when I got to that point, I just give myself a little push, go ahead, get going. And um, some of those little practical things were helpful. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And yeah, that course definitely needs to be made. So yeah, you, you currently have courses available on your page, right? Like you're on your web page. I've just been doing the life coaching mainly, but I, I've decided I think I'm gonna I'm going to make some different courses. So I just did the um the four week law of attraction one. I think I'm gonna do this a course in grief. Maybe I'll do you know maybe I'll do some on parenting and on relationships and things. Um, I am going to. I just this week started writing Nathan and my story. We've been asked for years and years to do that before Nathan even died, just because we've had so many adventures with our homesteading, with our home birthing, all that kind of thing. And, um, and haven't known how to go about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've started writing it, get partway into the first chapter. And it's like, there is just not a flow happening. And, um, and just this, I think it was last week where I finally like, okay, I can see it now. Like I have a visual of how to do it and how to write our story and kind of up to the point of Nathan dying and then my journey afterwards and how our love still is not gone. Um, I, throughout the 
three years, especially the first year or two, um, was given music. If you knew Nathan, he was really musical and and loved music and really um, gave the children and I this huge appreciation for music and would point out to me why it's so good and what makes this so unique. And um, so it was uh, logical that Nathan would use music to communicate with me. And I had this, um, I had this impulse to put on my playlist You'll Be in My Heart from Tarzan. Of course, my kids, as they were growing up listening to the movie, I always heard that song in the I background. Love that song. But I I thought, I don't know why, but I went ahead and put it on my playlist. And um, <clears throat> and then I listened later to the words as I was driving along, and it just made me <laughs> cry because yeah. it's, I so needed to know that he wouldn't leave me, that he would stay with me to the end. And, um, and it's, you know, in the song, how it says, how it talks about, and of course, this is talking about Tarzan's eight mother <laughs> um, and how our, our relationship others can't understand, but you and I understand. And I'm going to always be in your heart. Just look over your shoulder and I'm going to be there. And, and I've thought that with Nathan and I, it's like, I have this connection and it's with someone in the spirit realm and I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to explain it, but I feel it. I know it. And it's just, he and I know it and feel it. And I feel mm -hmm. the communication and I can know in an instant, like when he's there and, um, and just to know that all I have to do is look over my shoulder and he's there. It's again, if you knew our relationship, I was his little wifey. <laughs> and so, Aww. um, having him be the rock there for me still is really important. But when I was making one of the last transactions and it was a huge one, um, closure, it was, a uh, one that I could not reduce in size or anything. I had to pay the whole amount <laughs> from the bank, um, a line of credit for his business. And when I was able to bring closure to that one, the biggest, um, the biggest dilemma I had to deal with, and I was signing the final papers. I was able to do it a year later, pay it completely and in full. Um, it was $63,000. When he died, I probably had $100. <laughs> so to give wow. you an idea of how, how much um, the miracles that occurred during all that time, that was just one, that was just one closure I had to bring to the business. He was still building it, um, starting over again after he lost his business. So Wow. Um, but as I was signing those final papers, what song started playing over the loudspeaker in the bank? But no. you'll you'll be in my heart. <laughs> so lots of lots so. of special moments since he's been gone that make me um make me feel I know I'm not alone. I'm I'm walking this journey and there's something really, really um special about this. And to live in the grief of what I don't have or trying to like race through the time of the sadness and grief. It's like, there's like this immense sweet grace falling over you if you would open your heart to it. And so I did. And sometimes when I feel myself, like I just want to get to the next chapter, I just want to get all the pieces in the grid that fell out. I want them all in place again and have certainty again. And then I remember Renee, there's something really special about now. This is life. Life is happening now. 
Don't run from it. Live it each day. Live in the uncertainty. Embrace the uncertainty because there's huge growth to be gained there of faith, courage, all these things you can't gain when life is certain. Take advantage of it. So reminding myself of those kind of things all the time as I travel this road, just like I did in other times um, and in different ways to keep going and just the first step is all you need to see. You don't get to see the whole staircase usually, but if you'll take that first step, the next step is gonna be made down to you. And life is a beautiful ride. Enjoy it, enjoy it. Uh, yes, wow. Uh, that was like such a beautiful way, I think, to bring this episode to a close is just that embracing, embracing all of it, embracing all of life. And yeah, this, wow. And thank you so much too, for, for hanging with me for, for the long haul. Cause I know we're, we're probably an hour and a half deep right now. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for, for hanging out and listening to this. It is full of so much gold, so many gems in this episode, Renee. And I just want to thank you for, for being willing to share your story, for not holding anything back and for, yeah, just for, for sharing all that you have on this episode. And I know, you know, everyone listening is probably going to be like, where can I get more of her? So on Instagram at one true north underscore life coaching is where you can find more, right? Of Renee. And then on Facebook too. I finally, (laughs) finally, like a year and a half ago, started one on Facebook as well. So that's this place. Um, Same name, right? One True North Life Coaching on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, so it's all congruent. I remember you you putting that video out there too of of um changing it from Wing It Mom to One True uh One True North Life Coaching to to make it all match and um yeah, thank you so much. And then we'll we'll drop the link to your website as well in the show notes below. So everybody listening, if you're like, wow, where can I get more of that woman? We'll drop all those links in, in the show notes below as well as, I mean, we haven't solidified this yet, but um, I'm really hoping to, to put on a live event here in Phoenix where you'll get to meet this woman in person and get to, you know, have this experience live, have this beautiful live Q&A, this interactive experience. So, I mean, I just pitched that to her at the beginning of this before we started recording. So we'll see, we'll see how it unfolds. I mean, I'm having my fingers crossed because I think that would be epic. But until then, catch her on Facebook, Instagram, and on her website. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for coming today, Renee. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for all your sincere questions and letting me <laughs> letting me tell my story. It's really fun to do. It's a fun to reminisce when life is wonderful and be able to share it with other people. So thank you. Absolutely. And everybody listening too, thank you so much for tuning in today. And until next time. <laughs>